Thanks for clicking play on the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. My name is Spencer Dirks, alongside, as always, Dr. Bob Leonard. Dr. Bob, how you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Good to see your pretty face. <laughs> you ready for the holidays? Oh, I'm working on it. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. I'm pretty much done. Doing well this year. This is way ahead of schedule for me. I'm usually Christmas Eve shopper. I'm typical in, guy. I'm inconsistent. Some years I'm good, some years I'm not. This year I'm close. I'm close. Good. Good to hear. Let's get right into it because we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Very Trump heavy show today, and it's not by plan, it's just because. We're going to start off talking about a satanic display in the U.S., uh, or not the U.S., but the Iowa State Capitol that's caused a fuss, and there's a state legislator that wants it removed, and now he wants the Ten Commandments, and we'll get into that a little bit. I mentioned it's Trump-heavy. He's leading the poll. He's also Hitler, basically, and we also had AI write a short story, a Trump love story. Yeah. And it really kind of tugs at the heartstrings a little bit. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I'm just kidding. It really does not. Uh, we also have top five Christmas carols this week. It's hard to believe, but this is the, the penultimate episode before Christmas. We just have one more next week because Christmas falls on a Monday this week. So only one more episode before we get to Christmas. So got to get in our Christmas stuff. Sure, of course. So let's, as I said, get right into it. This is from KGAN. An Eastern Iowa state lawmaker is trying to get a satanic display at the state capitol removed. Brad Sherman, a Republican from Williamsburg, is now calling for Governor Kim Reynolds to remove the blasphemous display, arguing that it goes against the Iowa Constitution. He is also calling on legislation next year that would prohibit satanic displays in the Capitol building and on state-owned property, and also legislation that would make it legal to display the Ten Commandments in the Capitol building and in public schools, of course. He laid out his argument in his newsletter, and it reads in part, For those who wish to worship Satan, they are free to do so on their private property, but to allow satanic expression in the state capitol and other public property is to surrender to Satan's demands for equality with God, which was his original sin. I will be like the Most High, from Isaiah 14.14. 14. Therefore, based on the laws of God and the Constitution of the state of Iowa, and for the purpose of securing the blessings of God upon our state, I am calling for our governor to have this blasphemous display removed immediately based on the grounds that it is unconstitutional and offends God upon whom the state of Iowa depends for blessings. I am calling for clarifying legislation to be adopted in accordance with our state constitution that prohibits satanic displays in our Capitol building and on state-owned property. And lastly, I am calling for legislation to be adopted that makes it legal to display the Ten Commandments in our Capitol in all buildings owned by the state and in our public schools. Yes, of course. Of course. We knew it was going to happen. And Governor Reynolds issued a response, and her response was something to the effect that she found the display, I don't think she used the word abomination, but she may well have, but and she disagreed with it, and that she urged everyone to pray about it, but she didn't make a statement regarding the fact that she didn't say it shouldn't exist. And, you know, I find this quite ironic that Republicans are actually interested in a constitution where I'm sure this is a Trump supporter. Then Trump wants to has said he wanted to suspend the constitution. They're working to destroy the constitution. Yet they want to use the constitution. And, the, and you notice that particularly he evoked the Iowa Constitution, yes. not the U.S. Constitution, where this is just speech. The reason why he used the Iowa Constitution, and it's very similar to the U.S. Constitution, whereas in the U.S. Constitution there is the idea of the creator, that we're endowed with these rights. In the Iowa Constitution, they use supreme being. So that does also could mean Satan, could it not? Absolutely. It does not say the Christian God or Jesus or anything to do with Christianity. It just says supreme being, that we are on this earth because of this supreme being and we get all of our blessings from him or her does also does not stipulate whether it's a he or a she well and many republicans think that supreme being is trump 
Exactly. Right. That's who they pretty much Some are worshiping God. right now. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, you know, it's easy to treat this as a joke or that it's just, you know, more overreach by Republicans. But this is what moves the Overton window. It sort of moves everything to the right and normalizes the stuff that's absurd. Like you, people will say, oh, you know, Trump isn't, he really wouldn't be a dictator. Oh, we're overreacting. You know, it's things like that. This is just normalizing. It's slowly moving things to the right. When 10, 20 years ago, everybody would have known it was just a the satanic thing was, you know, just a matter of free speech and they wouldn't have done anything about it. And Governor Reynolds said in her response that the solution um, to statements like this that are abhorrent is just more free speech. So she just said, yeah, let's go pray about it. She thinks it's it's bad, but she isn't following the lead of the of that legislator for now anyway. Have you seen the display? I saw images of it. Right. Yeah. It's I, awesome. It looks awesome. It's like a chrome goat's head, you know, with mm-hmm. goat's head, goats I guess what is it? goat's horns coming out like chromed out has a cloak and then some sort of wreath like a red ribbon wreath and it looks awesome i think it looks cool looking yeah yeah in terms of a piece of art i think whoever created it was very talented it's very thought-provoking which i think is the whole idea yeah i've seen that images that image before and i guess i don't know where the goat Imagery comes from, though I guess sometimes Satan is depicted with horns. And yeah, and hooves. Can, yeah, so that must be it. Also, I just saw before we came in here, Ty Rushing had tweeted that there is somebody actually praying and has been praying for hours in front of this satanic display in both English and Latin. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if he's praying to Satan or if he's praying on behalf of the Christians. I'd suggest not it's been... on behalf of the Christians because the satanic people are really only a Facebook group as far as I understand it. There's yes. no real church or anything. I think they're just... Yeah, there certain... is a banner underneath it that says the satanic temple of Iowa. But like you said, I don't There's think no it's temple. actually... No. <laughs> right. No. And also, it will. I should point out that the guy was uh, sitting crisscross applesauce in front of the statue, but pointing away from the statue. So that also leads me to believe that he's praying to the Christian God or Jesus. And the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. I mean, all these things are about a jealous God, basically. The the only two that are actually laws are Thou shalt not steal and Thou shalt not kill. Okay, just put signs up around that say don't kill people and don't steal. You know? Yeah. Well, and a lot of this is performative, that one Christian showing off that they're more Christian than thou. Right. And when, in fact, you know, you know, in the, in the words of Jesus, you were supposed to pray, you know, alone. Right. And not do these public performances, but that's what they all do. Who's more, who's closer to God than the other? And you do these public performances and what happened, I mean, like the family and faith forum a guy stood up and put his arm out arms out like he was crucified and it was i'm sure he felt good but he's just he's <laughs> acting like he's a better christian than the rest of the people there so it's there's so much of this that is performative that which is as you said just as blasphemous as having a yeah. display of something with a goat's yeah. head yeah let's get into some cock talk of course we're getting closer and closer we're just about a month away January 15th is when the caucuses will take place. This is from KCCI. A new poll is offering more insight into how Republican candidates are faring in Iowa with just five weeks left until the Iowa caucuses. For the first time during this campaign, support for Donald Trump topped 50%. The poll from the Des Moines Register, NBC News, and Mediacom shows 51% of likely caucus goers have Trump as their first choice for president. Ron DeSantis pulled out ahead of Nikki Haley with 19% support. Haley has 16%. Coming in fourth in the poll is 5% with Vivek Ramaswamy. Chris Christie is the only other candidate who pulled more than 1%. So basically still a three-person race between Trump, Haley, and DeSantis. Yeah. 
And I was surprised by the DeSantis gain. I don't think he's done anything to gain. But I was surprised, too. Yeah, I thought Haley would be moving up. It did seem like she had a head of steam that Ron DeSantis really couldn't do anything about. And it is surprising that both Trump and DeSantis went up in this latest poll. And it's like, why? Yeah, nothing has changed. No, not, I mean, they're still spending the same amount of money. You're still seeing ads. In fact, I'm seeing more ads now for Haley than I have ever before. It does look like she's really going to be trying to especially get second. If she, if she could get second in Iowa, that would be huge because you would assume she'd do pretty well in New Hampshire, especially the fact that independents can vote in the primary in New Hampshire, and Haley would be much more appealing, at least in my mind, to independent voters than either Trump or DeSantis. And then, of course, then we have South Carolina, her home state. So if she could get second in Iowa, that would be huge. I mean, she's I mean, it seems like right now third would be the worst possible outcome for Nikki Haley. And then she's really trying to get that second spot. Well, the second spot is critical. Yes. And so there's and Iowa breaks late. So. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's pretty clear what's going to happen, but who comes in second is uh, going to be very interesting. It does seem, in my experience, that the caucus is sort of its own beast, and you really don't know exactly. You can kind of have an idea of who the front runners are, but there are certainly oftentimes surprises on caucus night. I mean, the fact going back to even Barack Obama in 2008, that was quite the surprise that he won the state of Iowa. I mean, people were pretty much expecting Hillary Clinton to beat him pretty easily. And even here in Knoxville, when I was covering caucus night, it was very evenly split between Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. And then, of course, we have people that come up. I mean, Pete Buttigieg was the winner of the Democrats last time around when we had the large field. So, yeah, I mean, it does seem like it's Trump's to lose, but you never know. That's right. No, it looks like it's so... um... It looks like his lead is so large, it's insurmountable. And some people are saying, you know, it's done. But, I, you know, if, if we're done, why have the actual caucus itself? I mean, it's like you can have a football team projected to be a 50-point blowout winner, too. But sure. you still play the game. Yeah, the Dolphins were supposed to win by 13 points last night against the Titans. They lost. Yeah. So you never really know. It's also interesting, I didn't have this on the agenda, but I'm sure you saw Casey DeSantis's comments about having all these mamas for DeSantis descend on the state of Iowa and participate in the Iowa caucuses, saying, you can, you don't have to be a resident of Iowa. Come on in from wherever you're at. And it was funny because the Iowa GOP Twitter account actually, right after that, basically, tweeted, "You ha- here's the rules, you have to be from the state of Iowa, a resident of Iowa to actually participate and vote in the caucuses. You can be there to watch just like anything else. I mean, I could, if you're from Florida, you could go in the polling place where I vote, but it's not like they're going to let you vote. Right. I I don't know. It seems like that was just an error on her part, but it's, it's not been long that Republicans were for cheating in elections. Remember Donald Trump tried to, you know, uh, overturn the results of the elector, had fake electors. Why is it such a big leap to think DeSantis might have fake caucus goers? Sure. I mean, the whole world has changed. You've, my immediate reaction is, oh, that was a mistake. She misspoke. But now I never know what they really are doing. And I used to give people the benefit of the doubt in the party. and Just in general, I do. With the Republican Party, if we give them the benefit of the of the doubt, they'll steal it and run away with it. It's just yes. So no, I'm. I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if that was a calculated. Yeah, way. just to cause chaos yeah. at some of these caucus places, right. and then what happens? And then maybe people show up, and it looks like DeSantis has more support than he really does, and maybe that would affect actual residents of Iowa on how they vote. Like, oh, maybe DeSantis does have a shot here. Maybe I'll, yeah. I'll caucus with the DeSantis crew, even though half of those people aren't even from the state and can't vote. Right. And, you know, who knows if they're checking IDs. Yeah. I, don't, I think they do check IDs. You would hope the Republicans would. That'd be funny if they didn't. 
Yeah. I mean, they're the whole reason we have that law in the state of Iowa now that you have to present your ID when you go to the polling place. So it would be funny if they're like, yeah, show up wherever you're from. Come on in. We'll yeah. accept everybody. If you're from Florida, no. Texas, yeah. whatever. That's right. They cheat. I'll tell you this much, too. I would much rather have Casey DeSantis as our president than Ron DeSantis. Just seeing her speak, she's a lovely woman. She's pretty. And she also is a very good public speaker. She seems like a much better politician than Ron DeSantis. Oh, yeah. I'm sure she It's surprising that Ron DeSantis is even in this position to begin with, to be quite honest. He's an awful politician. He's an awful politician, an awful man. And it's hard to believe that somebody is a... as much as I might uh, disagree with her as somebody that comes across as professional and lovely, that she would find something of interest in that toad. It is strange. Yeah. And you've seen all these pictures. It's also really weird. The the cowboy boots with the lifts in them and they curl at the top. They literally look like the Grinch's shoes. It just seems like everybody that's advising him is trying to make him look like a fool. There's been so many instances of him just doing the absolute wrong thing or most boneheaded or embarrassing thing. I told you a long time ago, they had this shot up on Fox News where he's squinting. They set up the camera so he's staring into the sun, basically. Like even simple things like where should we set up the camera so the governor doesn't look like a moron squinting on Fox News. Well, in that stupid exchange when he was with who forever whoever at Fox News where they were playing catch. Oh, yes. How stupid was that? Yeah, I don't remember who it was, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It was stupid. Right. And that was like right at the beginning of like the launch to his campaign. Big interview. And it's like, yeah, whose idea was this? Yeah. And and going on Twitter and deciding to make your announcement on Twitter with Elon Musk. And And that was obviously a shit show. I mean, couldn't even get it running for the first half hour. And yeah. Right. You make a big event your first one. You don't experiment you right. know, in Twitter. You, yeah. Exactly. That could have been something you do after the after the fact. You're going to announce on whatever and then join me and Elon as we discuss my campaign. But that shouldn't have been the kickoff, the announcement of your run for president. Well, the thing is, and here we are talking about these silly things, and which are sort of red herrings. Yeah. Well, we should be talking about his terrible policies. That's true. You're absolutely but right. But we're caught up in it like everybody else. So let's get into some actual serious stuff then with Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump is not in the same league as Hitler. This is from MSNBC.com, by the way. Yet the former president is using the infamous dictator's playbook, a political science expert said. Barbara Walter, a political science professor at the University of California at San Diego, appeared on MSNBC's Amen, where she was asked about the former president's comments suggesting he wants to be a dictator, quote, only on day one. Quote, this is classic wannabe dictator behavior. We see this again and again and again. People who want power, especially people who thrive on it and love the attention, they often advertise what their intentions are, Walter said, continuing to quote, They don't sneak around, but Trump's entire playbook has been to identify weakness, attack weakness. He has been quite successful in doing that, end quote. Walter then transitioned to a reference earlier made to Hitler, quote, You mentioned Hitler earlier. I don't think Trump is in the same league as Hitler, but he is using a similar playbook, she added. Again, quoting, Hitler told Germany and Europe exactly what he intended to do. Nobody believed him. He wrote in a very long book. People read that book. They still did not believe it. And then he went ahead and executed his plan, and Trump is doing exactly the same thing. We've been saying this for a long time. Correct. I mean, this is you nothing You specifically new. have known this for a long time. You are widely read, and you know that this is exactly, this is the plan, as they said. They, this has been written about the Heritage Foundation, which you've brought up several times, their 2025 plan or whatever that's called. They want to weed out all of the non-Trump people. Forget just Democrats. Just if you are not a Trump a fight, you are gone if he gets reelected. Right. And there are people, Nick Fuentes, for example, is talking about the assassination of of uh, the media. I saw that this morning. Yeah. Frightening. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and Trump himself says that General Milley should be executed for treason. Yeah. I mean, 
I, yeah. Here I am trying to be reasonable and saying well, we won't go that far. But who knows? Who knows? Take them at... When Trump says somebody should be executed for treason and he's president again, what makes you think he's not going to do that? Exactly. He's the guy at the beginning that said he could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and he wouldn't lose any supporters. Right. And in part because he has this giant conservative message machine out there not telling people what he's saying. Yeah. And they're fooling half of America because that's their... That's their media. Every morning I get up and the first thing I do is I look at a whole bunch of news sources. I get the general pattern of what the news of the day is. And then I look at Fox News. And then I know what my Republican friends aren't aren't going to know. What they don't know. Because Fox doesn't tell them. And so it's just... it's. It's easy to blame our good Republican friends, but they're in a total misinformation, bizarre world that's created by Newsmax and Fox News and other conservative outlets. That to me is the interesting, the most interesting part about this is this, what I just read from Barbara Walter, Trump was on Hannity. Hannity was trying to dissuade fears of Trump wanting to become a dictator. He was basically throwing him a softball of which hoping that Trump would say, of course not. I'm not a dictator. I'm running for president of the United States, whatever he decides to say. But Trump took that and said, just for one day. Yep, I would be a dictator just for one day. And it's also ridiculous because he said the two things that he would do would be One, close the border, which you were president for four years. Now you're going to get that done in one day. Good one. And number two, drill, baby, drill. So, yeah, that's also going to happen in one day. Well, I mean, mean, just those, that response is asinine. And it's also even scarier knowing that that's not going to happen in one day. So if it doesn't succeed in one day, do you go on to the next day? And I'm a dictator tomorrow. And the day after that, because these things aren't done yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess he's thinking he'll be issuing the executive orders to make them happen. Which is also scary. What do you mean close the border? What does that mean? I mean, how do you go about doing that other than mass murder? Well, yeah. Well, and he's not the only Republican candidate that has suggested shooting yeah. immigrants. Literally going to war with, the, they call them the cartels, as if we don't understand that they just mean Mexican people. I mean, you can't just go after the, I mean, all these things go after the cartels. Again, Trump, you were president for four years. Yeah. Cartels are still there. Didn't seem to slow them down at all, did you? So how do you go, what's the plan? Well, we need to remember that there was a bipartisan um, legislation put forward on immigration, on the border, and Trump vetoed it. Right. Because... He needs it. Exactly. He doesn't want to solve the problem. He never did want to solve the problem, other than build a wall. That's all he really cared about, which wouldn't have helped the situation one bit. No. No. The... uh, Washington Post had a nice piece a year or so ago, maybe a couple of years ago, talking of, you know, documenting the number of times where there were border walls that where they were breached with tools that we can all get at a hardware store. Right. Very simple handheld tools. Or climb over or dig under or these are desperate, desperate people, many of them refugees running from possibly the cartels. They made it all that way, folks. You think a wall is going to stop them? Yeah. Can you imagine the conditions that some of those people had to go through just to get to the uh, to the Mexican United States border? Right, and a lot of it is because of us undermining foreign governments, right. our insatiable drug appetite. Exactly. I mean, yeah, the reason why the cartels make as much money as they do isn't because of the market in Mexico. Right. <laughs> it's because of the market in the United States. Yep. But I mean, we'll accept no responsibility. No, of course not. It's all their fault. Yeah. But 
we will not take any of the blame. So this is a story from Texas that's just heartbreaking, but I feel like we need to talk about it. We're taking a wider scope now. This is from the Texas Tribune. The Texas Supreme Court has overturned a court order that would have allowed a Dallas woman to get an abortion. The ruling came down hours after Kate Cox's lawyers announced she was leaving the state to terminate her non-viable pregnancy. Last Tuesday, Cox, 31, filed a historic lawsuit asking the courts to allow her to terminate her pregnancy after she learned her fetus had full trisomy 18, a lethal fetal anomaly. The lawsuit, brought by the Center for Reproductive Rights, said continuing the pregnancy posed a threat to Cox's health and future fertility, but her doctors refused to perform an abortion due to the state's near-total ban on the procedure. Travis County District Judge Maya Guerra Gamble ruled Thursday that neither Cox nor her husband or OBGYN should be criminally or civilly penalized for terminating her pregnancy. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton filed an emergency petition asking the state Supreme Court to overturn that ruling. On Friday night, the high court put Gara Gamble's order on hold while they considered the merits of the case. Meanwhile, though, Cox's condition was deteriorating, and she was in and out of the emergency room, according to her lawyers. Quote, this past week of legal limbo has been hellish for Kate, said Nancy Northrup, president and CEO for the Center for Reproductive Rights. Quoting again, her health is on the line. This is why judges and politicians should not be making health care decisions for pregnant people. They are not doctors, end quote. Cox's lawyers said Monday afternoon that she had left the state to get an abortion, but did not specify where or when the procedure was occurring. The Center for Reproductive Rights told the Texas Supreme Court that it intended to continue litigating her case despite Cox no longer seeking an abortion within Texas. A few hours later, the court issued its ruling overturning the temporary restraining order, quote, No one disputes that Ms. Cox's pregnancy has been extremely complicated. Any parent would be devastated to learn of their unborn child's trisomy 18 diagnosis, the justices wrote. Some difficulties in pregnancy, however, even serious ones, do not pose the heightened risk to the mother the exception encompasses. Yeah, which means all of those so-called exemptions for you know, the health of the mother for rape, for incest are irrelevant. And isn't it ironic that so many of these people that are making these decisions are such terrible human beings? Wasn't Paxton just, you know, you know, brought forward to the Texas legislature for ethics violations, criminal activity, adultery, and yet he's on the moral high ground where he gets to judge this woman. And did you say Miss Cox or Mrs. Cox? She is married. Okay, I was going to say... I probably... believe I did say Ms. Cox, but that was just... Yeah, oh, yeah well, I, she, I thought... She is married. Saying... I believe they have two children already. Yeah. This would have been their third child. But I thought that maybe if she wasn't married, that was part of his rationale, that she was a sinner and deserved to be punished or something. By the way, uh, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton acquitted on 16 charges in state Senate. <laughs> well, and it was all political. It was so they wouldn't lose that. So he wouldn't lose his position. I remember Texans are, you know, Republicans in Texas arguing about it. It was all that vote was performative, had nothing to do with his guilt or innocence. Of course. Well, yeah, Republican... Attorney General is not going to be ousted from his seat by a Republican <laughs> legislature. That's just not going to happen. Right. Democrats probably would, but the Republicans, yeah. no. That's another thing. That's so ridiculous sometimes. I heard uh, Sean Hannity talk about how Democrats always circle the wagons and they're so well put together and they always are on each other's side. It's like, what world are you living in, man? Well, they are <laughs> in Congress now. Well, yeah, I think but... they have a... Could, yeah, I think they have good leadership. They, in Congress, that's probably as true as it's ever been. Yeah. But it's still not, I don't know, that's just kind of an aside anyway. I don't know if you heard what the district judge, this Gara Gamble, said, but it was absolutely the truth. How it's hypocritical when you're about the life or the future life of these fetuses and babies and forcing her to continue this pregnancy to term could and probably would prohibit her from having future children. 
they obviously want three children. They have two already. This would be their third. If it's unviable, which it's, it is not viable, it was going to die either way, they could then still try for their third child if they wanted to. But if they continued to force her to carry out this pregnancy, they would be stopping her from becoming a mother again. Well, and that's what the judge and that's what the judge said well, in this case. And of course it's true, but they don't care because they want the law to stand. They'll, they're willing to sacrifice this woman, right, to for the overall law to stand because the goal there in their mind they would more procre, uh, procreation, more births, more people sharing their ideology. I don't know. I don't well, and it's interesting, too, because we've, ta- we've discussed every single state that has put this to the voters, the right to an abortion, every single state has kept the right to an abortion up to a certain amount but of see, time. But see, they don't care what the people want. Ex- that's exactly my point. So I was going to say they now want to go back. They originally said, let's send this back to the states so they can decide this on their own. We'll make this a state's right issue again. But now, since every state has allowed abortion to continue, now people like, who's that asshole from Pennsylvania that wrote that Appalachian book? J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance. Now he wants to take back federal control because things are not going the way they wanted them to in the state. So again, it's all about power and control over women's bodies. However, they can get that. Originally, they thought, okay, we'll send it back to the states and then it will be illegal, at least in some states. We know it will be probably legal in California, New York, etc. Again, speaking from a Republican's point of view. But they weren't expecting states like Ohio, Kansas, etc. to vote to continue the legalization of abortion. Do anything for power. Break every rule, every law. And this poor woman. And this is just one story of which I'm sure there are thousands very similar, if not exactly the same as this woman's story. Of course. Think of how often that happens. It happens all the time where there's a miscarriage or there's some sort of anomaly with the chromosomes or the fetus is just not viable. Well, how many, I mean, I'd like to look at how this got the media attention it did when there are thousands of other stories. Right. I'm guessing it was because of, well, I mean, first of all, the fact that it's Texas is going to probably make more headlines than if it were, you know, most other states because it's very populous and it's also very red and very Republican. Adding Ken Paxton into the mix also probably gets it publicized more because of his issues and his legal problems. And then also just the fact that she probably had the resources to hire good lawyers that did publicize this for her. And it made it to court. Yes. Because a lot of women just die or whatever happens to them, they don't get to court. Right. They don't have the resources to go to court. Exactly. I'm guessing that this woman has some resources and was able to get this, as you said, into court. Well, and some women don't have the resources to get out of state. Exactly. Well, I mean, right away, there was, I'm sure... I never actually saw this with my own eyes, but I would have, I would bet that there was some sort of GoFundMe account to get this woman out of Texas. Whether she needed that or not, but I'm sure, I know that there was a call for fundraising to, to make sure this woman could do what she had to do. Yeah. So I don't know how to segue out of that, but it was kind of interesting. In our, in our last episode, we were talking about, as we often do on this show, artificial intelligence I know how to segue out of this. You segue out of this by the listener asking, what can I do? How can I get involved? What resources do I have? What strengths do I have? Can I volunteer? If I can't volunteer, can I contribute to democratic uh, campaigns? Can I talk honestly and openly with my neighbor? Can I engage at the dinner table and say, this is wrong? And so, 
Everybody has to find their level of comfort to engage. That's how we segue out of this, is a call to action to be somebody and make the world a different place in even any small way you can. Just don't sit back and take it. That's how we segue out of this. Thank you. Excellently said. So we asked artificial intelligence, chat GPT. We were discussing the positives and negatives of chat GPT. And particularly we were talking about, can you copyright AI produced material? Whether it's a short story or a piece of art. And that got us thinking, and it got you thinking especially about basically selling dime store <laughs> Trump novels. Yeah. So those kind of novels that you would see, you know, back in the 90s with Fabio on the cover, except it's Trump's right. head on the Fabio body. So this is, so you asked, specifically ChatGPT, to write a short story about Donald Trump fighting in Vietnam where he saves everyone and has a romantic relationship. And this is what came back. I think this would fly off the shelves at, at some of these Trump rallies. Once upon a time, I love that it starts with once upon a time. What a classic thing for AI to do. Once upon a time in a parallel universe where reality took unexpected turns, Donald Trump found himself in the midst of the Vietnam War. The year was 1969, and against all odds, he was a valiant soldier with a heart of gold. As Trump trudged through the dense jungles of Vietnam, his signature hair slightly tousled by the tropical breeze, he stumbled upon a group of fellow soldiers pinned down by enemy fire. Without a second thought, he rallied the troops, displaying unexpected courage and strategic brilliance. In the heat of battle, Trump's leadership emerged, and he devised a daring plan to rescue his comrades. With a mix of charisma and audacity, he led a charge against the enemy forces, saving the imperiled soldiers and turning the tide of the battle. News of Trump's heroic actions spread like wildfire, earning him the respect and admiration of his fellow soldiers. Among the grateful soldiers was a skilled nurse named Eleanor. She couldn't help but feel drawn to the enigmatic man behind the unconventional heroics. As the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months, Trump and Eleanor's connection deepened. They found solace in each other's company amidst the chaos of war, sharing whispered conversations beneath the moonlit skies and stolen moments in the hidden corners of the military base. Their love story unfolded against the backdrop of a war-torn landscape, and despite the challenges, Trump and Eleanor's bond only strengthened. They faced danger together, supported each other through the darkest days, and celebrated the rare moments of peace that Vietnam offered. When the war finally came to an end, Trump and Eleanor returned to the United States as veterans. Their love story, born in the crucible of conflict, continued to thrive in the face of the challenges that awaited them in civilian life. The unexpected hero of the Vietnam War, Donald Trump, became a symbol of resilience, courage, and love. A narrative that defied expectations and transcended the boundaries of time and reality. <laughs> Pretty amazing, isn't it? The funny thing about this story is the fact that it very obviously throws shade at Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Winking at the audience as it goes along. Yeah, it does. It's pretty interesting. and Like against all odds, he was a valiant soldier. You know, basically saying that he, this is not the kind of person that actually would do these things. So we would have to tweak it a little bit. I think this is almost a little too wink and a nod that Trump fans probably would not enjoy reading this. Although I did enjoy reading it. And I should not good. admit that, but it was a pretty good job I chat GPT, I must admit. Well, yeah, and plus, you know, so impossible he would not act like that in any way no except trying to figure out how to get with eleanor <laughs> exactly that part of it is absolutely something that he would try to do oh he was more subtle here than he would have been in real life given the excess hollywood tape correct yes we he actually have... had a little bit more patience with eleanor so that yeah. was that was good but I mean, and I, yeah, displaying unexpected courage and strategic brilliance. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just like little phrases like that are are actually kind of tongue in cheek funny. Well, we should write the whole book tongue in cheek funny, <laughs> right? I mean, so just get the outline for the chapters, put in some more details, and let it go. I'm telling you, that would fly off the shelves. 
Yeah. If we just took, you know, grabbed 50 different AI written books, rushed them to print, went out on the road with Trump and followed his caravan around, we'd well, be making money hand over fist. Right. And his followers would think, well, he, look at him. He's so, um, oh, he's so, what word am I looking for? Humble. <laughs> he never told us these stories. Right, yeah. He was really in Vietnam. The liberals say he had bone spurs. No, he was no, in No, he Vietnam. was there. He was in Vietnam. Oh, I wonder what oh, happened that would, to Eleanor. Yes. <laughs> what happened to Eleanor? We have, we'll have to kill her off somehow and him being kind and compassionate before he... Found Melania. Forget all of his other wives. And I do love the opening line, just in a parallel universe where reality took unexpected turns. Just saying that, no, Trump is not a war hero and never could have been the type of person that would be a war hero. If I had more time, I would play with this more. Right. I might have to do that just to see if we can actually make some money. See, that's the only way I would feel right about making money with this would be stealing money from the Trump supporters. Yeah, well, that would be good. <laughs> yeah. So there's your Christmas time Trumpian love story with I Donald hope, and I, Eleanor. I hope you mess with it some more. Yeah, that would, we, we need to, I think. We should share some more uh, Trump short stories. I think that would be interesting. We could turn it and just into to see where, Yeah, just to see where this unravels. Well, And, and what, kind, what kind of mythos we can build around this bizarro Donald Trump, where he actually is a good person. <laughs> Well, and it's almost like now an image is coming to mind of uh, one of the Thor movies where Thor is supposedly dead or in an alternative universe and then Loki rewrites history to put himself in yes, the center. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that happens in the second one and then the third one he comes back and yeah. sees Loki and yeah. <laughs> has rewritten history. Thing. Right, very, very similar. Yeah, go for it, Spencer. All right. So now we have top five Christmas carols. These are my personal top five Christmas carols. We're just a few weeks away. In fact, less than two weeks away now, about a week and a half away from Christmas Day. So number five is Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. That's okay. Number four is Silent Night. I always think of my grandpa. I've mentioned several times on this podcast he was a Methodist pastor, so I've got a lot of very good memories of going to the candlelight uh, service on Christmas Eve and singing Silent Night and lifting up the candle when you're singing the verse and bringing it back down. And so Silent Night will always be... It's a lovely song. And it's also just a fantastic song, regardless of... Who wrote it? I don't know. It's one of those songs where it's probably lost to history. I don't know. We'll have to look it up. I am going to look it up. This is a segment we like to call Spencer and Dr. Bob Google shit. Yes. Joseph Moore, according to two sources. So composed in 18 by eight or composed in 1818 by Franz Gruber, not to be confused with the diehard movie villain Hans Gruber. Oh my God. Weird. Franz Gruber. I wonder if Hans Gruber is named after Franz. He's got to be, right? Because well, Die Hard is a Christmas yeah, movie. We've absolutely. decided that. So the lyrics were written by Joseph Moore in the hamlet of Oberndorf bei Salzburg, Austria. And it was first recorded in 1905. So it was actually originally written in German. Hmm. There you go. Joseph Moore, M-O-H-R. Joseph Moore is the writer of Silent Night. And it's not even as old as I thought it might be. I mean, 1818. That's pretty old. Well, that's pretty old. But, I don't know, it just seems like it was older than that. Yeah, but it also seems contemporary in terms of, you know... True. You know, a yeah, modern song. Yeah, it doesn't have a whole lot in common with, like, like, from old the 30s homes. or 40s. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem quite as old as some of, like, those old hymns that you right. read and, you know... Seems more modern. So, yeah, number four, Silent Night. Number three is Jingle Bell Rock. You like the rocking ones. I do. Yeah. I like the upbeat... Songs you can kind of dance to. Silent Night's really the only one on here that's more of a ballad. And I'm that way in general, too. I'm not a huge, like, love song or rock ballad fan at all. Not a fan Depends. of this. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I, I like upbeat stuff. I like techno and, yeah, me too. and rap and that sort of stuff. So, uh, number two is, and this is very divisive. Wonderful Christmas time. 
the Paul McCartney. Simply having oh, yeah, a wonderful yeah. Christmas time. It's fine. See, you're the only person I think that's ever just said it's fine. Most it's people okay. are like, oh, I really like that song. Or it's the worst Christmas song of all time. I'm just tired of the Beatles. See, that's the thing I was going to say. I'm not even a Beatles fan. I mean, I used to be a Beatles fan, but then I've been having to listen to it ever since I was 10 years old. Yeah, that's true. i just tired of it. I'm not a, a Beatles fan, per se. I do like some of their songs. I'm also not a Beatles hater, either. My mom is the definition of a Beatles hater. If you bring up the Beatles in front of my mom, get ready for a conversation about how much they suck and just how much they're overrated. So... Yeah, I, I'm a pretty objective source when it comes to the Beatles and Paul McCartney, and it's a number two song. I'm glad you could hum it for me. And number one is Carol of the Bells. That one to me just means Christmas. They play it during Home Alone. Remember when he's leaving the church and he sees the neighbor that he was afraid of for so long and actually has a conversation with him? That's the song that's playing oh, right, as so he leaves. Sing it for me. Well, it doesn't have any lyrics. I I, I don't know if I can. Try. I don't know if I can. Na 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 prefer it as just the instrumental and I, I when i think of the song i just think of the instrumental but there may have been sort of like silent night where it was just a instrumental song for a long time almost a hundred years before somebody put lyrics to it so you never know so what i leave out what's your favorite christmas carol I don't do you know. listen to christmas carols first of all mm-hmm. i mean maybe you're just not a christmas carol fan i used to be a christmas carol fan until they started playing them before thanksgiving oh yeah and I just get sick of it. Yeah, there are some radio stations that play it, I mean, November 1st, if not earlier. Yeah, no thanks, by the, by the time it's Christmas, I'm sick of it. See, that's the thing. I'm, I like Christmas carols, but just in small doses. I just need it during the month of December and that's up it. until Christmas Day. And then after Christmas Day, I don't want to hear another Christmas carol until next December. I've always sort of liked the little drummer boy. Yeah, there's a lot of them that I didn't make the list that I like. I mean, I like I said, I'm not against Christmas carols. I'm also not a huge, I'm not the person that's listening to the Christmas music station starting in November either. But I do, I like going around, going on drives, looking at the lights, listening to Christmas music. And like I said, I have a personal connection with some of these songs too. I remember my mom used to always listen to like the Bing Crosby CD back in the day that was playing pretty often during the holiday season. And Andy Williams, of course, was a big one. Proud son of Iowa. So, yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Nat King White Cole. Christmas. Yeah, White Christmas is a good one. That's not on your list. Well, I only have five spots. I've got my top five. Well, I think. And, you know, Baby It's Cold Outside is, is also one of my favorites, and that's been controversial. Right. Kind of starting with the Me Too movement, because it is about a really, really pushy guy. Yeah. But when Andy Williams and Lady Gaga sing it, it's... Wonderful. Right. I think it's a cute song. No, it's not Andy Williams. I'm sorry. It's Tony Bennett. There you go. That's what, yes, exactly. Yes. And I like Tony Bennett even more than Andy Williams, actually. I'm I'm actually not a huge Andy Williams fan, even when it comes to Christmas music. I'd rather, I prefer most of those songs sung by Bing or Nat King Cole or even Michael Buble nowadays is a good Christmas crooner. Yeah. How about Mariah Carey? Where do you stand on... All I want for Christmas is I think you. It's a good song. And I don't like when people, you know, trash Mariah Carey. I same. I like Mar- Mariah Carey a lot. We're on the same page. Yeah. Just, you know, why do people find fault with her? I mean, I don't know. It's just, are they jealous or what? That's probably a lot and of some it. Some people don't like Lady Gaga either. I think she's brilliant. I think both of them are. I just think that. I don't know, people trash-talking Taylor Swift. Just leave them alone. Yeah. They're brilliant artists. Absolutely. Appreciate them. Right. Honor them. Listen to them. Don't drag them through the dirt like people do. Well, like you said, I think a lot of it is just jealousy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can be jealous and appreciative, too. 
Yeah, that's true. Or envious, I guess it would be. Yeah, jealous I feel like you wouldn't appreciate. Yeah. Jealousy is a pretty envious. nasty but envious, yes. You could that's kinda of goes hand in hand that you want what they have, but you also think that you deserve it in a way, you know? Well, I mean, I could see one Or maybe not that you deserve it, but that you could ex- accomplish the same things given the same opportunity, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. We're just completely off topic now. Right. But yeah, leave but these... Leave and of course, it's always women. Yeah. People don't say, well, you know, enough of Michael Buble or enough of Bing Crosby. Like, it's always yeah. the women. Yeah. So. All right. Anything else? We covered a lot of ground today. Yeah, we did. We did. I look forward to your, your next installment of our Trump novel. All right. Sounds good. I'm not sure if we'll have it next week, but I, I definitely do want to play around with it. Yeah. Good. I don't, don't know if I want to turn this into the Trump Dime Store novel podcast quite yet. Well, we could just slowly bring it together. Exactly. And then at the end, you could do a dramatic reading. Yes. Just have a whole like 50 minute long podcast, just strictly an audio book, basically. Yeah, yeah we, that might we be could fun. try that. Uh, next week, by the way, top five Christmas movies. So it's our last episode before die Christmas. Hard, die Hard, Die Hard, Yes, Die, die hard. hard is absolutely on the list. I will tell you that much. Uh, by the way, we did a poll on the website. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Um, on the radio station website, only 27% said yes. I think it was like 37 or 38 said no, it's not a Christmas movie. And another 37 or 38 said that they've never seen it. Wow. Which was a pretty high number of people. Then again, I hadn't seen Die Hard until like five years ago, probably. I was well into adulthood before I actually saw one of those movies that was on all the time. So I sort of, you know, knew what happened and and had seen most of it before. But to actually sit down and watch it, it has been fairly recently. And I right away fell in love with it. One of the best films I've ever seen. Yippee-ki-yay. Mother 